world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. When you hear the phrase family caregiver, hardly anyone pictures an eight-year-old. But it's estimated there are millions of caregivers ages 8 to 18 in the United States alone. And they are all but invisible. But thankfully, that's changing. This week on Parents Are Hard to Raise, Dr. Connie Siskowski, founder of the American Association of Caregiving Youth, and Krista Hanstra of the Change Foundation in Ontario, Canada, Join Diane for an eye-opening discussion you don't want to miss. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard to Raise on Spotify. Welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert, Diane Berardi. What's it like to take care of multiple family members at age 15? Due to an ever-growing need, the lack of professional caregivers, and limited financial resources, family caregivers have become important members of the health care team. When we think of caregivers, we typically picture adult family members or close friends. However, surprisingly, today's caregivers can also be children as young as eight years old. In the absence of available adults, more and more children are being asked to sacrifice their education, health, well-being, and childhood to provide care to a loved one. After discovering that one in four middle and high school students in Palm Beach County were academically impacted by caregiving, Dr. Connie Siskowski decided it was time to do something about it. She founded the American Association of Caregiving Youth, based in Boca Raton, Florida, here in the U.S. Dr. Siskowski is here, along with Krista Hanstra of the Change Foundation in Ontario, Canada, to talk about the role of the youth caregiver. Connie, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. And Krista, welcome back. Thanks. Well, happy to be here. Thank you so much. We're so happy that you're here. And parents are hard to raise family. You'll remember Krista from episode 111, where she introduced us to the amazing work going on at the Change Foundation. And to our new listeners, be sure to listen to that episode in our archives. So, Connie, tell me, what happened that led you to the work you guys are doing in Florida? Well, when I was in middle school, I took care of my grandfather um, as his health declined, and uh, I was the one who found him no longer breathing when I went to give him his medication at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my gosh. And it was, no one really, you know, talked about trauma in children at that time years ago. Sure. And so um, it really impacted my life later. And that's one of the things that we see, that the trauma that, that the kids experience today may come up in a year or two years or even more. 
So um, when I was remarried and went back to school to get my PhD, this was my research project. Ah, Didn't really intend it to be, but um, once uh, we learned the data, I just had this overwhelming feeling of being compelled to do something about it. It's unbelievable when I've, you know, when I learn the statistics, we just are not aware of youth caregivers. Well, the work that they do is really behind closed doors. So, you know, why would you be aware? It's it's nothing. We're supposed yeah. to be taking care of children. They're not supposed to be taking care of us. That's right. It's so true. And I, I suppose their parents, grandparents, everyone's living longer. I mean, it's just... Uh, it's just kind of a domino effect. Right, and because we have more grandparents raising grandchildren because of uh, the opioid issues, as well yeah. as more single-parent households and what happens when that single parent gets sick. And, yes. you know, also with the mobility of families, you don't have that um, cultural support um, right. that we used to have. Yeah. In, in Ontario, what we also see is that the siblings of um, yes. those with developmental disabilities, because again of the medical advances, some of those uh, people who may have not lived as long as they do now, the siblings are having to step in and provide that care when their parents no longer can or have passed on themselves. And so that's also a piece of oh the gosh. young um, carer puzzle. It's complex. <laughs> Yeah, it boggles my mind. I mean, you know, trying to piece this all together. How do you define a youth caregiver? Well, it's it's any child um, ages 8 to 18, although the population we deal with uh, primarily yes. uh, starts at 11 years. And um, they can be providing a variety of activities of daily living, including personal care or instrumental activities of daily living. And they do some things such as administering and managing medications that even oh my gosh. in our country, home health aides are not permitted to do. You're right. It's unbelievable. Do you find it the same in Canada, Krista? Yeah, we use um, a similar definition, uh, and we actually call them young carers yeah. here in Canada, drawing from um, the term that they use in the in the UK, and we um, see them as young as five, and we sort of oh define young carers as up to 24, so the idea that um, when they're transitioning into adulthood, that's still uh, a young age to be providing that kind of care and support. And one, one of the trends we see in Ontario with young carers is that a lot of them, in addition to what Connie mentioned, is they play a translation role within the healthcare system for their parents. So uh, okay. if they're new immigrants or they don't, or English isn't the first language of the person they're caring for, right. they, it's sort of a default role for uh, young carers. And although we see that across all caregivers, the number of young carers who do that is higher than uh, amongst the general caregiving population. And you're saying five years old? Yes, five years oh. old. Um, and, and to talk about the complexity when, when we talk about that, some of the, the, the care, as Connie said, is um, behind closed doors, but right. there's also fear around talking about the role of caregiving in youth because of um, the possibility for child protection services to be uh, questioning right. that or whether that could be um, interpreted as inappropriate. 
And so it is a complex situation because it's invisible, but also there is fear about talking about it publicly as well. Well, I can imagine because the parent, for instance, or the child will be afraid they'll be removed from the home. That's right. Well, there is that yeah, fear. Yeah, exactly. There's that fear. And um, at least in the U.S., there's also the immigration fear. So, um, and But so many people just don't understand. So that's why this program is so important. Uh, we met with one um, congressperson in, in our office to try and educate him. And he said, well, children shouldn't be doing this. You know, they should be in foster care. And it's just out of ignorance oh, yeah. and not understanding that with support, they can do so well. Um, and the children we work with are in the highest, what we call levels of responsibility. So they spend at least 20 hours a week um, and typically do one um, activity of daily living uh, in their work. I can't even imagine, you know, getting up, I, you know, they have to get up so much earlier, go to school. I mean, uh, they probably, you know, can't do sports or after school activities mm -hmm. and come home. And they're probably, while they're in school, they're worried about what's going on at home. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh. And there was, a, there was a commercial that said, um, it was for a security system. And it said, you know, when you're worried about what's going on at home, it's impossible to yeah. learn or think about anything else. And I said, that's our kids. Oh, my gosh. Such a burden. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, what, what you're doing is remarkable for these kids because they had to feel isolated. Mm-hmm. They One do, of the interesting stories we have here in Ontario is a young girl who told her story in the media um, and it, it ended up getting quite uh, prominent coverage in our national paper. Uh, and her art teacher at school read the story and said to her, oh, is this why you don't come to our after school art club? Because I know you love art. And this young girl said, absolutely, I can't go after school. I have to go home. Right. And so that teacher switched the art club to Fridays at lunch. And something as simple as that allows right. uh, her to um, be involved in art as her passion um, with other kids when she couldn't before. And, and there are things that are as simple as that that can make such a big difference. And of course, there are fundamental policy and awareness and understanding um, issues that need to be tackled as well. But it's not all, it's, it's across a continuum of things that can happen to make a real difference for these young carers. Oh, yeah. Um, Connie, what do we know about the numbers of youth caregivers in the U.S.? Well, I wish we knew more. The only national data we have that showed that there were at least 1.3 million children oh was gosh. released in uh, 2005. And then there was a study funded by the Gates Foundation called The Silent Epidemic, released in 2006. And it showed that among young adults who had dropped out of school, 22% said it was to care for a family member. So um, not only is um, academic underachievement or dropout a concern within um, you know, uh, grades up through high school, but also it's a factor in college and completion. So with uh, Krista, you going up through age 25, um, you can perhaps help in that population. Mm -hmm. In Ontario, um, which is one province within, uh, within Canada, we have 3.3 million family caregivers, and of those, 17% are, are between the ages of 15 and 24. 
Um, so that's the stats we have. But as we just talked about, a number of the stories we've already talked about, those right. youth are younger than 15, and we do not have statistics for those under 15 uh, for multiple reasons. But we know that this is a huge underestimate of the number of youth who are involved in some kind of caregiving. Yeah. Yeah, and thankfully in the United States, um, finally, the yes. military is taking a look at um, children as caregivers of military families. So hmm. um, they're looking at some data, so we'll have better estimates. And also in Florida, there is a, um, a study that is called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Yeah. That's that's really under the, I guess, the motherhood of CDC. And that was administered in the spring of this year so uh, to middle and high school students. So we'll have a better estimate of prevalence, at least in uh, Florida, which can then hopefully be extrapolated to other uh, states in the United States. Tell us um, about the work you're doing in Florida with the caregiving youth in schools. So we um, identify the kids beginning in sixth grade. Uh, they take in, uh, a, an eligibility screening and then we meet with them individually once we determine that they're in the top three of five levels of responsibility so that we can uh, use our limited resources wisely. And then um, we do skills building groups. We have a curriculum that we've copyrighted that goes from sixth grade through high school, as well as um, we do lunch and learn sessions so that each month we uh, use a different topic according to the top diagnoses of the care receivers to provide not only the children in our program, but others and school staff with information that they need um, because you know, you can imagine that if a family has issues with uh, substance misuse, right. that they're not as likely to give parental consent to um, for the children to participate. And so in addition to working with the schools, we also do a home visit with families that will allow us to and look for ways that we can help the family relieve stress and therefore relieve stress on the child. Right, okay. And, and we provide fun activities, so we have an overnight camp and um, other fun and educational things so that the kids have time to be a kid because they miss out on that. As oh, you sure. Said, many become isolated. Yeah. We're going to continue talking with Krista Hanstra of the Change Foundation and Dr. Connie Siskowski of the American Association of Caregiving Youth. But first, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know.
Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Have an Amazon Echo or Dot? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard to Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. Connie, I was wondering, um, obviously this is not just a problem in Florida. Are there any other states uh, doing work like you're doing? Uh, yes, they're beginning to. Uh, as we began and, and started sharing some of the information, people from other states had reached in. And so we formed an affiliate network, and that network is growing. Um, one of our uh, more recent um, affiliates is in Philadelphia at ah. Temple University, where okay. they're expanding the services of their intergenerational center. Okay. Um, huh. We're we also began the Caregiving Youth Institute, and through that we have a Caregiving Youth Research Collaborative, and it's under the leadership of Dr. Betsy Olson of UNC Chapel Hill and myself, and her program down there is called Bookend Caregiving, and it's about children caring for older adults. Um, Arizona and other places are, are um, getting on board. Anything in New Jersey? <laughs> Yes, actually, ah. there's um, there's a couple of things. One is called uh, Hope Loves Company, and uh, that's a disease-specific organization that that's, uh, we work with, looking at children uh, caring for a family member with ALS oh, and uh, the Family Caregiver Resource Network. So they've had a couple of conferences, as has a Brookdale Foundation that helps with respite. So kids need respite too. I was so going to ask that. Right in. Yeah. yeah I was going to say because I know, you know, uh, there's respite for adults, you know, taking care of maybe their parents or whatever. So there is a, a kind of respite for children. Well, <laughs> we provide respite um, uh. and it depends. Uh, see, one of the issues in our country right. is that all of the, the National Family Caregiver Support Program dollars yes. flows. It was attached to the Older Americans Act signed by President Clinton huh. in 2000. So those dollars are funneled through the Department of Elder Affairs. Right. And, um, hmm. you know, so the, the tsunami of adult family caregivers kind of outweighs the children. So yeah. We really need to raise the children's voices and get legislation to support them. And there is a congressman um, from Pennsylvania who is interested in, um, we're working with to write a bill on behalf of teen caregivers. That's wonderful. I guess I can see that. Yeah, and I understand it, you know. Yeah. But 
But the <laughs> children are important to invest in because sure. not only are they our future, but we need healthcare workers in the future. And you know, if yeah. these children are supported properly in their role, yes. then a lot of them want to go into healthcare, and it makes total sense. Oh, definitely. So there's a, a workforce development component also. What kind of work um, is being done in Canada to support the young caregivers? Yeah, so we um, have uh, also have kind of a variety of programs uh, across our province, but they're very sporadic, so they don't certainly don't cover all of the province. Um, and we kind of have a flagship program in our Niagara region, which borders right on the U.S., um, where they provide um, similar services to what Connie talked about in terms of camps and resilience building programs and skills building right. programs and just an opportunity for kids to be kids and most importantly that peer support so being able to be right. uh, in a room of other kids where they don't have to explain anything uh, why they do, why they can't go out to social activities or why they don't have the same kind of experiences as other youth or don't go into extracurricular sports or whatever uh, and so that program has been around for more than 10 years and it's really the flagship program here in our province but it reaches only within that specific region and so um, we've been doing work in this area for the last couple of years and I feel like the tide is shifting and that the awareness is growing yeah. around uh, the need to support young caregivers in a variety of ways and so I feel like I'm hopeful for the future and what that might hold for young carers, but um, there's certainly a lot of work to be done. And you know, it's so exciting for the children. So once they meet other kids in their yeah. own school, it could even be somebody from across the mm -hmm. street because it, you know, they, you don't go to school and say, "Hey, guess what I did for Grandma this morning." Right. Mm -hmm. And so then they learn they're not alone in their school. And then with activities with kids from other schools, they make such strong bonds yeah. between them, uh, and they keep in touch with each other. So that's really pretty remarkable. You know, when you finally you meet someone else going through the same thing as a kid you know you have that bond that has to be so uh such a relief to them mm -hmm. you know it, and and uh, you know uh, holding hands with another per with another kid and you don't feel so awkward or so you know no one knows what I'm going through and Right. Isolated. These are, these are such good kids and they're compassionate and yeah. they're empathetic. Mm -hmm. oh. You know, they're they're really amazing uh, with support and without it, they can get frustrated and quit. Um, and, you know, sometimes siblings uh, don't feel like, you know, maybe an older sibling has left home. And we've had this experience where the, his, his uh, younger sister was caring for his mom who was blind. And, and he got upset with her that she wasn't doing enough. And so oh my gosh. we had to get the police involved. It, you know, there's so many um, nuances. Yeah. You don't, you don't think about you know and and the healthcare system is unaware so right. one day we did a home visit and a grandmother uh was discharged from the hospital in a wheelchair and they lived in a mobile home so a manufactured home and those stoops are high and so in order for her to get to the doctor or into a vehicle for transportation they had to lift her in and out oh my gosh. and so you know uh, Part of the discharge planning and awareness right. within the healthcare system just really needs to be raised up um, so that these things are in place uh, for families so that they can succeed and not become isolated and get the services that they need. Yeah, that isolation is just...
it's heartbreaking. I think the kids who need us the most are the hardest to find. They're often the ones who yeah. uh, are doing the heaviest load of caregiving, and they might be in a single parent home. They might be living in a rural region where you the only time they would you know, kind of have that other interaction is at school. And in Canada, at the moment, we don't have a lot of awareness in our schools. And so they really do go unseen. Um, and that can be very, very worrisome. Yeah. That's why we hope to work with Kristen, develop a platform of connectivity so that mm -hmm. the kids from a distance uh, can really uh, work to support each other. Diane, you should know that this uh, interview together is going to be the, the start of a good partnership between the two organizations, so I'm really excited about that. Oh, I'm so glad. You guys are, you know, are, are doing such great work, and I'm, I'm so happy to be, you know, a help in getting the word out, because so many people just don't know. You know, they don't know. I mean, you can look at an adult and not even know what's going on with them. You know, someone who maybe can't go out you know for a drink after work or or do things but you you have maybe have no idea what's going on at home i can't even imagine you know mm -hmm. for a, for a child mhm mm i think about um diane or sorry connie was talking about the school programs and those are incredibly important because i think yes. everything we've talked about in ontario our focus tends to be on the interaction in the healthcare system but for young cares we know that they show up mostly in the education system and that's the easiest and the best place to interact with them but the other place the other stories we've heard are things like a child who's living in a single family home where the mom has a chronic illness and has had an acute episode of some kind and has called uh 911 and the EMS has arrived and they they can't bring the child with them in the back of the ambulance so the child's left at home alone because there's a policy that you can't have that um, other person in the back and the and they were too young and yet it was okay to leave them at home alone alone <laughs> so you know there's some real awareness building um, yeah. that needs to start and then at, once we get to a certain level of awareness then it's about building understanding and services and supports to uh, make sure that we're providing uh, the youth carers with the support they need so that they can thrive in the future because there is a flip side to the young carers coin which is if you meet these young people you will be absolutely blown away by their maturity their wow. compassion wow. and their ability to handle crisis and challenges um, and we want to we want those youth to be our future leaders yeah and definitely. so we definitely well, need to support them and we also need to recognize the trauma that they go through so that as adults that they don't have um, you know, events that could be otherwise prevented and, and mm -hmm. suffering and poor decisions. So um, the counseling for them and dealing with the issues they face is so important. It, it definitely is. Thank you so much. On our website, Parents Are Hard to Raise Family, search for the Change Foundation. Um, this is episode seven in a series listen to them all the incredible work they're doing um, this can help all of us from anywhere in the world and special thanks to Jocelyn Healy who coordinated all of our special guests from the Change Foundation I hope you got something out of this episode I know I certainly did thank you so much for being on the show Connie and Krista 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Parents are hard to raise family. I love getting your emails and questions. Please keep sending them. You can reach me at Diane at ParentsAreHardToRaise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a Counterthink Media production. The music used on this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.